Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Portland Sea Dogs podcast. We have another great episode ahead. I had a chance to speak with Ryan Fitzgerald, who was the Sea Dogs shortstop infielder, and, well, actually, we saw him in the outfield, too. So he was the true utility fielder for Portland this season. He hit 271 with 30 doubles and 13 home runs in 2021 with the Sea Dogs before earning a promotion to AAA Worcester. Ryan played collegiately at Creighton, but never heard his name called in the draft. He signed with the Gary Southshore Railcats of the American Association before eventually signing with the Red Sox in May of 2018. Now, I will let Ryan tell the rest of his story because it is one of perseverance and tenacity. After you hear from Ryan, we will go over this episode's baseball vocabulary word of the day, which is EFIS. So without further ado, here is Ryan Fitzgerald. I want to welcome in Ryan Fitzgerald, typically our shortstop over the season, but we saw you at a variety of other defensive positions as well. Um, how is the offseason treating you so well, so far? Great, great. Um, just started swinging it again uh, recently, so uh, getting back into that, but uh, been in the weight room kind of ever since uh, I got home, and uh, it's always nice, you know, sleeping, sleeping in your own bed, and uh, I still live with my parents, so I got my mom cooking for me, which is always good, but uh, yeah, it's been a good start so far. Yeah, that doesn't sound too bad. Um, so let's let's take it back to when you first started, uh, you know, playing baseball and growing up. You grew up in the Chicago area. Uh, who was your major league baseball team that you were rooting for growing up? Yeah, I probably shouldn't say this out loud, but uh, Yankees. I uh, uh-huh. obviously Derek Jeter was one of my favorites. Um, you know, love love watching them play. Um, but kind of as I got older, actually, I I uh, kind of started leaning towards Brandon Crawford. Um, so I try to model my game a little bit after him, um, to, you know, kind of like with the hair and, uh, and playing shortstop and everything. But, uh, yeah, nowadays it's probably Brandon Crawford. Gotcha. Well, I mean, I mean, you have a hall of famer and you have Crawford who is now a gold glove winner as of today. So not a bad duo. Um, so you went on to play at Creighton. Um, you had a, a pretty solid career there. You were starting shortstop by your sophomore year, but looking at on the internet of, of what your most popular video is and play is the the first home run hit to center field at TD Ameritrade Park. Not only was it the first home run to center field, it was a grand slam and inside the park. What was what was that like? Yeah, I definitely don't have the power to hit it out to center field uh, at TD Ameritrade, that's for sure. So I usually leave out the inside the park part just to make people think that I can hit it hard. Um, but yeah, that was, uh, that was a fun game. Um, I think I was a sophomore. Um, but yeah, looking back on that, the whole video and the, you know, the way I looked, I was about 40 pounds lighter and could run a little, little bit faster than I probably can now. But yeah, that was, uh, that was a good, big game for us to win. I remember, uh, playing in the big East. It was our first year in the big East. Um, it was, it was a big win for us against Villanova. And how was your, your kind of experience with Creighton? You know, like you said, you're a little bit, uh, a few less pounds and, and having to like, you know, balance the education side with the athletic side. So, so how were your fears there overall? We were in the Missouri Valley Conference uh, my freshman year, so that would have been 2013. Uh, we moved on to the Big East Conference then for my sophomore through senior year. Um, played with some great players there, uh, a lot of talent. You know, a couple guys that are in the big leagues now and uh, a couple guys that have, you know, had big league careers that are retired now. Um, but, yeah, overall, I mean, great group of guys. Actually, this past weekend I just got back from a wedding, um, and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's like you never left those guys. And uh, 
you know, you make some family for life and brothers for life. Um, so yeah, I mean, going to Creighton was great. Um, I ended up getting a finance degree when I was there. Uh, I, I not necessarily cause I wanted to, my parents kind of pushed me in that direction. It's just kind of, kind of what my family does in the finance world. So, uh, ended up getting that, um, which, you know, it's good. Obviously I'll, I'll have a, a, my college degree. Um, that's one of the, you know, I guess benefits to, to not having been drafted my junior year or, or my senior year, I was able to get, get my degree. Uh, but yeah, I mean, o- overall, definitely, uh, definitely a good time and, uh, some good people. And you, you sort of alluded to it, but going undrafted, obviously a big disappointment, I would assume, you know, after putting up really good numbers at Creighton and everything, and it looked like you made a good case for yourself to be drafted. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I never really expect anything and nothing's ever for certain in this game. And uh, especially the more and more I play it, uh, the more and more I realize that. Um, but yeah, it was uh, definitely a, a tough moment for me and my family. Um, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't watch the draft after my senior year. I, I kind of followed my junior year thinking that I might have a shot. Um, you know, I talked to a couple teams and, um, you know, they said, you know, just keep your eye on it. So I did, but, uh, Senior year, I just was like, you know, I, I don't expect anything to happen. If it happened, it happens. So I didn't watch it. Uh, my parents, they, they ended up watching the draft. And I was actually, I was headed to the gym um, that day on the draft. You know, the last pick was made. And <laughs> I was about to walk out the door. My, both my parents came out to me and they were, you know, they're both crying and, you know, apologizing to me because they knew that I, you know, I wanted to play professional baseball. And that was my dream ever since I was a kid. And, uh, you know, it's tough when that happens because it's like, well, you know, now what do I do? But I, I knew that I was, I was going to play somewhere. I knew I was going to figure it out. Um, so I ended up, you know, playing independent ball. And, uh, you know, obviously I am now I'm, I'm here playing, you know, for the Red Sox and, uh, you know, putting together a couple of good seasons and, uh, you know, trying to make my way to the big leagues. But uh, it was it was definitely hard. But, you know, I met some people in indie ball that really changed my career. And, um, you know, they, I still work with this, those same guys to this day. And uh, I think it's, it's just going to be a good story when it's all said and done. So you, you did play for Gary and somewhat still close to home and everything and the American Association, which out of all the indie ball leagues, I mean, I worked there for in that league for a year. It's, it's really good talent. Um, so what did you kind of come away with from your season with, you know, Greg Taggart and then also with Gary and, and playing with some pretty top tier uh, players? Yeah, I, I had tried out for a couple indie ball teams um, after I, I graduated from college and um they you know they all said like oh you're you know you're good enough to play but you don't have any pro experience so we can't sign you and you know that's a, a big mess and uh you know my mom ended up talking to this guy who knew Craig Taggart and uh he called him for me and and uh Taggart you know the manager of the Railcats he said you know come on out to batting practice so I went out and you know I kind of I guess practiced with the team before their games in uh, 2016 I did it twice um, and I, he didn't sign me then, but uh, after their season ended, he, uh, he offered me a contract for uh, 2017. So I uh, signed it, um, didn't have any other options. So I ended up playing there in 2017, uh, made the all-star team there and, uh, and playing, playing in the American Association. Like coming out of college, you don't really know like what indie ball is, at least, you know, especially going like D1 and stuff. You think, oh, like I'll absolutely destroy indie ball. Like I'll be one of the best players. And, um, it's really kind of eye-opening because, like, I was the youngest guy in the league, or I think the second youngest guy in the league at 22. Um, average age in the league was 28. So, like, I'm up, I'm up against guys that you know have multiple years in Double A, Triple A, and even you know I faced a couple of big leaguers. My first hit in any ball was off a former big leaguer um, at uh, for the St. Saint Paul Saints, and um, I mean it was it was eye-opening. I 
I wasn't sure if I was really going to be able to hack it. And, uh, you know, some of the best pitching I'd ever seen, but I, I still say to this day, it's, it's the most fun I've ever had playing baseball because it's do or die in any ball. Like if you don't do well, you're gone. Like there's no like, Oh, well, we'll develop you. We'll see where it goes. You're young. Like it was like, you better play well or you're done. So it's, I, and that's my kind of style. Everyone's pulling in the same direction. Um, you know, in, in some ways I miss it. And so, I mean, you obviously learned a lot in Gary, but then it was the Red Sox who came and signed you. What was that process like? Were they scouting you up until, until a certain point or, or how did that all kind of come to fruition? It's uh, been a long, long road for sure. So in 2017, um, the season ended and I actually, I went to a tryout for the Diamondbacks, um, like two of them. One of them was like in Chicago, did well. And they said, oh, you know, come down to our spring training facility in uh, like end of February and, you know, we'll do another tryout there. So I did. Um, and then uh, Greg Taggart also knew a scout with the Red Sox who got me into a tryout um, literally the next day um, with the Red Sox at their facility. So I had to fly from Arizona um, back to Chicago for five hours, hopped another plane and flew down to Fort Myers then um, and troop and had a tryout there during uh, spring training of 2018. Um, so that was like, I think it was like March 1st, I believe, um, in 2018, tried out there, <laughs> actually did pretty bad at the tryout. I was like, well, I'm not getting signed. Like, <laughs> so I uh, flew back, flew back home and uh, didn't hear anything from the Red Sox. Uh, went to spring training for the Railcats again for, for 2018, because I was on a two-year contract with them. Um, so I went and uh, it was like April, I think like 28th or 29th. And I was at spring training for like two days. And uh, the Red Sox ended up calling me on day two of spring training with the Railcats. Um, and I was on a plane the next day, headed down to Fort Myers. Wow. So what was that feeling like getting that phone call? It was cool. Uh, it, like at first, you don't really believe it. And uh, I lived I lived at home while I played for the Railcats. You know, it was like a 45 minute drive. Um, each day to get get to the park. So uh, I was on my way home, actually. Um, I was probably, I don't know, just over halfway home. And uh, my manager called me, Greg, and he's like, hey, you know, the Red Sox signed you. You're going to be getting a phone call from so-and-so, and they're going to set it all up for you. And, like, it didn't really, like, hit me at first. I'm like, okay, like, do I need to come back to the field? And he's like, yeah, like, come back, pack your stuff up. Like, you know, I'll say bye to you. And then, you know, 10 minutes into my drive back to the park is when it kind of hit me. And, you know, I had to pull over to the side of the road and, you know, had a good cry. And, uh told my parents later that night and uh, they were obviously super excited. So it, it was, uh, it was a quick turn of events for sure. That's awesome. So, you know, you go down to Fort Myers, what, what have been the biggest differences between indie ball and affiliated? Obviously, you know, with affiliated, you have the whole system and, and it's more about the development. Um, but, but what have been, you know, when you first went to Fort Myers, what were some of the immediate differences you saw? Yeah. Uh, in, in terms of like the gameplay, um, like, like I mentioned, being in, in independent ball, most of the guys have double A, triple A and big league experience. So uh, it's, it's kind of a different game um, in terms of, you know, pitcher, pitcher batter sequences and stuff like that. And, you know, in indie ball, you go down O2 an account and pitchers coming at you. Like he's not trying to waste pitches and get you to chase. Like he's, he's pretty much coming right at you to strike you out and, um, when I got down to Fort Myers, um, I was in extended spring training. So a lot of the guys were, you know, 18 to, you know, 21. I was, I was one of the oldest guys at 23 at that point. Um, so I was in extended for like a month, um, just kind of getting ABs off the guys down there and um, playing in some of the games. And I, I, I walked a lot um, while I was down there. Like I didn't get my first hit down there for like at least like four or five games. Cause I was just like walking all the time. Cause you know, we go down Oh two and that's like, 
they're just trying to get you to chase. So it's like automatic get back to two, two. Um, so that was kind of the biggest difference I saw. And I, I think even this year was like kind of the first year I saw pitching similar to what I saw when I was with the Railcats, where it was like, okay, like these guys have better control of their pitches and their misses are just not as far as, as what you see in the lower levels in, in affiliated baseball. Um, so that was kind of my initial um, thought, you know, what I saw when I first got into affiliated ball. Now this year, you kind of had a breakout year when it came to at least the power numbers. I mean, also doubles and we could talk about the defense too, but do you think that because you had seen similar pitching that that might've helped you once you got to the double AA, A, triple A level that you were a little bit more familiar with that style of pitching? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and, and being an indie ball, it's, it's kind of like, well, I got nothing to lose. Um, and, you know, I've had that attitude now for the last five years. It's like, well, I got nothing to lose. You know, I don't, no one, no one drafted me. No one believed in me. So it's like, I just believe in myself. And, and in any ball, it's like, go up to the plate and you can try to hit a home run every time. And it's like, it's like I said, I got nothing to lose. So I really kind of started to learn how to hone in my like power there, um, especially against good pitching. Um, and then obviously over the years, you know, you find, find better ways to train um, to be ready for, for that tougher pitching. Um, but yeah, I mean, Learning, learning how to get balls in the air um, and being on time for, for different pitches. Um, Cause they, at the end of the day, they, they don't pay you for ground balls. They, they're paying you for doubles and homers. And uh, I think everyone knows that at this point and, and where baseball is at. So, uh, I mean, that's, that's the name of the game for me is just try to hit balls as hard as I can in the air. Now, are you, are you a big analytics kind of player where you focus on your launch angle, your exit velocity and, and break it down like that? Or are you more, you play with the feel of the game? I would definitely say I lean more towards the analytics. I've, I feel like I've been on both sides of it where I was super big on the feel, um, you know, as an older player in college, you know, my junior, senior year, I, I didn't know what I was doing. So I was, you know, big feel guy. Um, and then kind of when I got an indie ball and I met some guys who introduced me to all the analytical stuff, uh, I went in like super hard on that. And I was, I mean, it was like, I was living and dying by numbers, which I think is also not, not a good thing, but I, I think, in the last few years, I've kind of balanced that out to where I, I don't I don't train towards a number necessarily. Um, I think feel is a big piece of it, but um, the numbers, I mean, they also play a huge role for me in kind of guiding my training and making sure that my body's moving the way I need it to. Are there like one or two numbers that you might focus on a little bit more than the others just to make sure that you're turning in the right direction? Yeah, I, w I mean, really one, I mean, that's bat speed. You know, I always say a, a bad fast swing will always outplay a good slow swing. And, and you know, especially at this level when you get into professional baseball, it's like no nobody's swing is like to the point where it's like, wow, like that really needs to move differently. It's usually more cases than not. It's like they just need to move faster. Um, and that's something that's helped me a lot, especially last year, is just increasing bat speed. And and then your exit velos are gonna go up too from that. So you know, there's a, you can look at X plus Y plus Z equals, but at the end of the day, it's all going to equal bat speed. And that's pretty much what I focus on. And we talked a little bit about the, the hitting, but, you know, I think from a staff's perspective, our coolest games were when Chris Sale was pitching and you got to play behind him. So how was that playing behind such a storied pitcher making his way back, uh, you know, to the big leagues? And there you are and a lot of the highlights uh, backing him up at shortstop. What was that feeling like? Yeah, that was cool. And uh, I was fortunate enough. I kind of got to move along with Chris on his, uh, his rehab. He was in double A and then he went to triple A and I happened to get called up at the same time. So I got to play behind him there as well, um, which is cool. I mean, Chris as a person, obviously high character guy, just phenomenal guy to be around. 
Um, but yeah, playing, playing behind him is just cool. I mean, especially when you don't have to do much cause he strikes everybody out. I did make one diving play for him and he, he did thank me for that, but, uh, it was uh, it was cool. It was really cool to uh, be a part of that, and uh, hopefully uh, there, we can we can have some more of that next year in the MLB. You did say that you went up to AAA with him. What was what was that conversation like? With I assume it was our manager Corey uh, telling you that you're going up to AAA for the first time. Yeah, I uh, I definitely didn't expect it. I mean, like I said, I I have zero expectations for for any of that, and you know what, it's never in my control, so I don't worry about it. Just try to play as best I can, but. Uh, yeah, my family was actually in town in Portland. Um, so they got to see, I think we had a doubleheader that night. And so they got to see me play those two games. And then after the doubleheader, uh, Wimbo called me in and, and told me that I was I was going to AAA. So, uh, yeah, it was kind of just a whole <laughs> whirlwind. You know, our game ended late and I uh, had to pack up my uh, my stuff in, my lock, in the locker. My dad actually, we so we drove to Fenway that night because I had to do like a COVID intake test because in AAA it's kind of like a bubble. So drove to Fenway and then I drove to Worcester and then got in at, you know, 3 a.m. and uh, played in that doubleheader then the next day. So it was, it was, in, it was four games in less than 24 hours, uh, you know, kind of back to those little league days when you used to do that. So it was, it's kind of exhausting, but uh, I mean, once, once I kind of got settled, uh, it was, it was fun. I mean, especially hitting those, uh, the triple A ball, they use big league balls there. So it's, uh, it's a little bit different in terms of hitting and you don't have to be as perfect with it. But yeah, it was. I mean, the, the facility there in in, uh, in uh, Worcester is. I mean, that's like top notch, just absolutely incredible. And uh, um, you know, the whole the whole feng shui of it all. And, you know, they, they really take care of you there. So I really enjoyed that. By the end of the season, you were named an organizational all star by MILB.com um, as shortstop. And and what did that mean to you to wrap up this great season, both hitting defensive wise, having really a breakout year, and then to be named one of the top players in the Red Sox system, according to MILB.com? No, I mean, you never really expect it, you know, because I know, I know I'm not, you know, some top prospect and I'm not, I don't got any huge financial investment in me. And I, I understand that. And uh, it was cool. I mean, it's cool to be recognized for sure. And, uh, you know, I got, you know, you get excited about it for, for an hour or so, and then you, you move on and get on to the next thing. And uh, you, I mean, at the end of the day, it's, uh, you know, I want to be an all-star in the MLB and, Help the Red Sox, uh, you know, win championships. You know, we were close this year, and um, I definitely, you know, whatever whatever role anyone needs me to play is uh, is, is what I want to fill, and I, I think I think my abilities are, are capable of, of doing that. Um, you know, at multiple positions, not really short, but yeah, I mean, that's it's cool to be recognized, and uh, you know, I'm very grateful for it. With the off season, how do you how do you structure all of this time off? You know, having to balance you know, staying in shape and, and, you know, working on your bat speed and all that sort of thing. How do you kind of structure your off season ahead of spring training? I kind of got in, uh, into weight training right away. Um, I didn't really take any time off from, from getting in the gym and, and, uh, kind of get my body back to its, its normal strength levels. Um, cause you know, the, the season will tear you down. So, uh, I got in there quick just to kind of get my strength back, um, and just kind of work on uh, a lot of rotational stuff or like I said, bat speed. Um, but I just started swinging again and hitting, hitting actual baseball this time. And kind of, there's a couple of college guys that are throwing live. So I've, I've hopped in a couple of times off of them. Um, but yeah, like my, my dad, you know, he's my, he's my training partner in the off season. So he'll, uh, he'll show up with me and, you know, early morning will be the first ones into the facility and he'll, uh, you know, throw, he'll, he'll play catch with me and then he'll throw me some BP and then he just starts feeding the machine, you know, and that's, that's really pretty much everything I do. And then, you know, get in the weight room after that and uh, finish off the training there. But I mean, I got a real, real simple, uh, 
simple off season. I mean, like I said, living at home, I got my mom to cook for me. She's the best. Um, you know, she's a, she's actually a nutritionist. So I get really good food. Um, so the diet's always there and, you know, I got nice, nice big bed and that's huge for me getting good sleep. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I, I'm excited for it cause you know, I, it's, it's the most fun for me actually, you know, I, the, the season's fun and all, but I love grinding in the off season, especially being in Chicago where it's cold and it's, you know, a little tougher to train and, uh, it's good. It's good for the mind. It's, it's, you know, mental grind and I enjoy it. And I think I saw on your social media that you're not the only professional athlete in your family. Your brother plays hockey. And he yeah, he actually, he's in Binghamton. Yeah. The Binghamton black bears. Yeah. He just signed a contract with them like three or four weeks ago. So I think they had their home opener Friday, this past Friday. So yeah, he's excited. I'm happy for him. He's uh, he's, he's kind of a spitting image of me. He's got the mullet just like me, maybe a little bit taller um but yeah he's he's enjoying it. I'm super happy for him because he wasn't sure if he was going to pursue it and you know I told him like you just can't you can't live with that what if because you know I I was in the same spot it's like man I didn't get drafted like what do I do now so he uh he went to a couple camps and uh they, they picked him up and signed him just you know the same way they did with me and uh, you know, I hope I hope the same thing happens for him I hopefully an organization picks him up and he gets to keep playing yeah, that's a, that's a cool story that y'all are both grinding it out. Um, well, Ryan, thank you so much for taking the time today. And uh, as much as we hope to see you back in Portland, we also hope to see you in Worcester and Boston next year. <laughs> Definitely. Thank you so much, Emma. It's a weird word, EFUS, spelled E-E-P-H-U-S, but it describes a pitch that even former Sea Dog Matthew Kent has used from time to time. Now, the EFIS is technically a trick pitch that was created by Rip Sewell in 1942. He was actually the cousin of Hall of Famer Joe Sewell. Anyway, Rip Sewell was involved in a hunting accident which caused damage to his right foot. This required him to learn a new delivery and pitch to make up for the fact that his fastball was significantly slower. Now, the EFIS rises about 25 feet above the ground before it slowly arcs its way back to the plate. Ted Williams famously saw three EFIS pitches from Sewell in the 1946 All-Star Game and smashed the third into the Fenway bleachers for a home run. Funny enough, though, photographs later showed that Williams had run up toward the mound and stepped out of the batter's box and technically should have been ruled out. And that is today's baseball vocabulary word of the day. Thanks again for listening to another episode of the Portland Sea Dogs podcast. Be sure to stay up to date with the Sea Dogs on social media. If you're interested in purchasing tickets or want more information on sponsorship opportunities, visit us at SeaDogs.com, giving us a call at 207-874-9300, or swinging by the box office at Hadlock Field.